his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock, along with Kevin Reed, our studio coordinator. It is 84 degrees in the Twin Cities. A uh, lot still ahead here on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. Uh, we're going to talk this half hour about a really cool new app uh, that is being used in a pioneer, pioneering fashion in St. Paul to try and make sure and track uh, adults uh, or even maybe even older children with autism and mental health disorders. It's It's pretty cool stuff. And it's something that I think really has enormous implications. And uh, it, later on in this hour, we're going to visit with Gordon Chang. He's one of the uh, primary experts in the world on North Korea, certainly another series of developments. Uh, it, it seems as if we are coming close to the brink, and I'd like to get his take on what he thinks uh, the United Nations speech, uh, how that played in North Korea, uh, and, and the reaction of Kim Jong-un, and what he thinks could happen next. And then, of course, at the 8 o'clock hour, we have my friend, Professor David Schultz. But this half hour, I want to visit with Dawn Barr. She's the acting direct, executive director of the Autism Society of Minnesota. Uh, about this app, St. Paul Police are the first in the state to use this app to help them navigate with folks who have autism or other mental health disorders. Dawn, thank you so much for coming on. Hi, thank you, Ms. Murphy. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And please, please call me Esme. Everybody does. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, Don, well, tell us, first of all, wh- what exactly is this? Uh, the app is something that we developed along with the St. Paul Police Department. Uh, well, first of all, we had this idea that, you know, you can be driving around anywhere in the country and these beacons will go off and tell you what restaurants are local. What, where can you get a hamburger for pizza? And we were talking about, wouldn't it be nice, based on all of the interactions, whether good or bad, but especially bad, that officers have had with our kids or our young adults based on their behaviors that aren't aren't typical. If we had a beacon system where an officer would know that somebody had autism so they didn't have to take them down or they didn't they if they acted in a different way than they would expect, they would know why. So we went to this company and we pitched this idea. They came up with, you know, all of the technology for us. But the the idea behind it is it's a voluntary program where officers have the technology on their phones and families can sign up and, for instance, my son Jake has a beacon he carries in his wallet and it looks like and a credit I'm, card. And I'm sorry, um, oh. uh, Dawn, if you can speak directly into the receiver, we're having a little bit of sort of uh, odd I'm sorry. Things. Okay, Better? so yeah, that'd be great. Um, so you're, you're, you were saying that, that your son, does he have autism? My Jake is autistic. Yep, he does. He's 24 years old. And he will oftentimes, when he's out and about, he's independent enough that he can be on his own free Valley Fair or at the state fair with a friend. But if he were to get bumped around and shoved around, he might, especially if somebody made, made a comment to him and he didn't understand, he might get out of control or, or perhaps maybe violent or not necessarily that, but you never know. And so what happens is families sign up for this vitals program. And as a caregiver, I decided what to put on this app. And it's got his picture, his height. So, so he's got, he's got so on his smartphone. Yes. No, no, no. He carries it in his wallet. 
and oh, okay, and, and what is it? It's it's, a, it's called a beacon. Okay, and and, so, and what what exactly is a beacon? A beacon. It just looks like a credit card. We have small little buttons that you can turn on and off that maybe a, a parent could sew into a backpack or on a hoodie, or you can put them on a shoelace. The point is the beacon stays with your child or your young adult or your adult. Or, you know, we have adults with autism who carry them with them. And the, the beacon is constantly sending a signal. Now, officers who have the beacon technology on their phone, if they come within 30 to 60 yards, 30 to 90 yards of somebody that has autism or whoever signs up for this program, will alert on their phone. And if, you know, if you're in a crowd of people and there is nothing going on, there's no altercations, nobody's having a problem, it's just a nice day at the park, there's no reason to to look at this app or to look at your phone. But if you see somebody who maybe is having a meltdown or maybe is in a group of people who could be looking like they're maybe bullying a child or somebody looks lost and, and you walk by or you drive up to a car and your phone alerts, the officer can look at it and immediately shows them who this person is, what they look like, what their diagnosis is, what their triggers are for their behavior, and how to de-escalate that behavior. So, for instance, in my son's case, Jake, if he was having a meltdown at the state fair, and an which and, and you know the, the odds of somebody bumping into you uh, accidentally right. at the state fair are, are right. I would say, about a hundred percent, or right. else but, maybe knocking, yeah. knocking, elbowing you, and suddenly you spill the five dollar. Coke that you got. I mean, that, that's right. the odds there are pretty high, I think, for anybody. <laughs> exactly. But the point being is that in most cases, he's able to handle it. There are some days, though, when, or maybe he just, that's his second one. Or maybe it's 110 degrees and maybe he ran out of money or maybe his, you know, somebody is, is just being you know, like screaming kipper around and they're on his nerves. Or perhaps somebody is lost and they're trying to find their way and they go up and they ask somebody, can you help me? and they shove him out of the way, and he falls down. You know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Or it could be somebody that's maybe having a seizure or someone who's having a diabetic episode or someone who is deaf and doesn't hear a train coming on the tracks. All of these, these things that can happen to our, our vulnerable adults where if an officer approaches them in normal circumstances, they're not going to know, in most cases, on how to respond or what to respond. Many of our adults with autism are, you know, you wouldn't know them from anybody else until somebody comes up and says, hey, what's going on? You know, there's a YouTube video out there where the guy's got a string and he's sniffing the string because that's a sensory thing that he does when he's under stress. But the officer thought he was taking drugs and took him to the ground. You know, not to say he didn't do his job, but the point is that the young man was not able to speak for himself at that moment. Therefore, this device will now alert officers that, hey, this is a person who has autism. He can't speak. Maybe he's nonverbal. Perhaps, you know, he, he loses his ability to speak when he's in an anxiety situation. But this is what you can do to de-escalate that. And there's a button you can press where, in Jake's case, the Aladdin intro will come on. And, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm having a little bit of a tough time hearing you. So there's, a, there, there's a button you can push. On the phone, the officer's phone, when you look at the at the, um, the the technology that shows up, it'll show his picture, his diagnosis, his height, his weight, what his triggers are for behaviors, okay. and de-escalation techniques, which is the most important thing. Rather than tackle him to the ground, you can look at this, and it says right here, de-escalation techniques, talk about Aladdin, talk about Terminator, talk about this. 
Palmy, there's a, a link that you can press, the officer can press, where the Aladdin intro will come on. And that will immediately bring him out of... Because that, talking about Aladdin, is something that soothes him. Yes, exactly. And it will completely okay. change the mindset that he's in at that moment. God, that's, that's so it cool. the officer something they can talk about with him. So regardless of whether you have to take a walk, you have to go to the Red Cross building, you have to go to an officer's car, whatever the case may be, you've got something now that gives the officers something that they can discuss and they can talk about, plus the information available. For instance, maybe he didn't take his meds today by accident. I can go in and change Jake's out. I change his, his, um, oh gosh, I just lost it. Um, um, you know, where, it's, where it talks about him and I can say Jake missed his medications today, maybe more. Oh, so you could, you could do that remotely? Yes. Right, right. There's wow. A or on the app. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. It's amazing. All right. Listen, Don, we have to take a quick break. Um, I'd like to, um, when I, when we come back, I'd like to ask you sort of how you can apply for this. Is it only St. Paul or other police departments looking at it? Obviously, um, you know, the application for this, I think certainly obviously could, could extend beyond autism to people with other forms of disabilities, oh, which I think yep. is really exciting. So yep, let's take absolutely. a quick break. Uh, you're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 719 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy, I'm chatting with Dawn Barsh. She's the acting executive director of the Autism Society of Minnesota. And she's describing, uh, this app that some, that St. Paul police officers have on their phones and individuals who have autism have what is almost like a little credit card, uh, that sends out a signal to, Officers that have the app that describes exactly what their condition is, what their diagnosis is, even even what kinds of things can calm them down uh, and help them, you know, kind of take a moment and, and get get back to, you know, where, where they're feeling good. Uh, Dawn, how do people – is this just for St. Paul Police? We love the St. Paul Police, but they're yeah. only in St. Paul. <laughs> exactly. Well, right now they're working with all, uh, a number of agencies to try to get them on board. Roseville Police Department just signed up. And uh, we're also looking at some hospitals and some emergency response, EMS, EMT, some hospitals. So, um, no, it's not just St. Paul Police. That was the initial rollout, they did the pilot program with us, and they've worked on it with us from the very beginning. So they are the initial, um, they, they started it with us. And then how many, um, do you have any kind of estimate, like your your son has the little card that sends a signal. Do you have any idea how many individuals are enrolled with, with disabilities are enrolled in this program? No, I don't right now. When we first started this, we had about 50 pilot project people who had it, but we uh, hadn't rolled it out yet until last week. So I don't really know what it is right now, but from what I understand, they're busier than they can be. So I imagine it's getting pretty big, but again, right now it's just in St. Paul. Once we get into Roseville and we get into Minneapolis and we get into hopefully all the communities and, and across the country, it could be quite a few. Oh, wow. Okay. So at least 50 individuals have it, which isn't that, that many. Right. Uh, how, what percentage of the St. Paul police officers have it? Almost all of them at this point. Oh. All of them will be trained on it, and that's happening right now. And those that have that want to use their personal cell phones, that would be voluntary. They haven't issued... Um, um, company phones at this time, but we do have a number of agencies that do have company phones that they will be in, and they will have 100% across the board. All right. And what response have you gotten from officers? I mean, obviously, officers have to make some pretty swift decisions yes, uh, they when, when they mm-hmm. are dealing with very difficult situations. Uh, what, what has been their response? The officers that were involved 
thought it was an amazing project. And again, they were in a focus group, so they started all the way when we said, what would you like to see in this app? What would you hope this would bring about? So they thought it was a great idea because, again, they don't, you know, officers need to have the information going into a situation, right? And quickly. I mean, in, 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 instantly. instantly. They, I mean, exactly. And this is instant. You get within 30 to 60, I think, or 30 to 80 yards, man, you've got it right now. You know exactly what you're walking into. And I think that's amazing. It gives them just that split-second timing to know this isn't somebody that's going to hurt me or hurt themselves. This is somebody who isn't going to be able to talk to me. So maybe I have to ask them in a different way. You know, it's, it's just it's amazing what this technology can do for officers. Uh, they really were on board, um, totally on board. And you, you've done you've done a great job describing uh, how this works in the case of autism. Are there other conditions or mental illnesses where, where this really could be oh, extremely totally, helpful? Absolutely. I mean, think about the Alzheimer's person who's wandered. Oh wow! You, know, you can you, you you absolutely can get that out to officers right away. It will have a, a device on it where you can, if you choose to, you can have a tracking point on it. So if your grandfather has Alzheimer's and he's wandering, you can look on this app and see exactly where he is. If you know you're in, like and, said, that, that means he's got to have that card with him. Exactly right, okay. which they would. You know, hopefully they have it in a place depending on the on the disability. If it's again, if it's a child, it would be on their backpack or on their shoe or wherever you need it to be. With Jake, it's in his wallet, so he's always got it with him because other than his phone, he always has his wallet. So yes, you're right; it would have to be with them. So that that is the one thing. But you know, like I said, schizophrenic, diabetic, uh, you know, dementia. All of these instances where somebody might have an episode where they need help and they, and they don't need they need officers to, to be supportive and, and to understand what it is that they're going through, I think, is, is the key here. All right. Uh, this is uh, such a, a, an amazing idea and such an amazing program. Is anybody else doing it anywhere else in the country? Not that we're aware of. Nope. This is us. First time. <laughs> we're it. <laughs> and do you know, has, and how long has it been going, this pilot project? Um, it's been almost a year. It was uh, March of 2016 when we first started putting this together. And have there been documented cases of it actually working? It has. We had, well, we, they did a pilot, St. Paul police did a pilot in the St. Paul system where they saw it work. We've done it where some of our kids have actually been, like I said, state fair was a big ticket because I could look on my phone and see how many times officers have actually run across him and came within the time that he needed it. So um, some of the other parents have indicated police that have found their kids when they've been wandering. So it's been, it's just, so it's, or, it's already, it's already literally worked. It already works. Okay, and what is yeah. your what does your son say about it? You know, he's um, he's friends with a lot of the officers that we worked with, or some of the officers we worked with. So he he thinks that in his you know in his beautiful mind, he thinks that they're all friends and they're going to be so nice to him and they'll take care of him. It's and he's he's more afraid that they won't understand if he can't respond. But because he knows them, he has kind of this view of, oh, they'll, they'll be nice to me, they'll be nice to me, they'll be nice to me. But literally, if you're in Minneapolis or you're in California or if you're at Valley Fair, these, these are people that don't have this app. And we have had adults with autism who have literally been at the mall, had a meltdown, asked the officer when they came to, to try to help them, say, do you know about the vitals program? And they say, yeah, I've heard of it. And she has showed them. Her, her phone, and they are able to read it and understand what ha- what's going on here and what this person is about, which really de-escalated the entire situation. So we've seen it work multiple times already. And how would it work at the Mall of America? Because they don't have the equipment. 
Right. They don't at this time, but they were aware of it. So they were able, the person who was having the meltdown is an adult with autism who had it on her phone. Oh. Was able to pull it up and show it to them so they could read everything that was on the phone. So it turned out to be a really good experience. But you're right. We have talked to people from some of the hospitals who said they want their security officers to have that. The Mall of America, their security officers should have it because look at, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> what a, you know, that's an enormous situation that, that, that can happen in a place like that. So we're hoping that we can get it out to everybody that comes in contact with our folks. And who, who's manufacturing this app or who came up with it? Because it, it, this looks like an idea that, that could be enormously successful um, in well, terms of manufactured like, on a huge scale. Right. Well, you know, like Officers Inc. at the St. Paul Police Department and the Autism and myself at the Autism Society, we came up with the idea and we brought it to a company called Very Aware or Aware Services and they have built a new company called Vitals and they have built this company to strictly build this product. So they put all the technology into it, put all of everything, gotten all of the hardware that needs to be and they they put together the program. So it's Very Aware. Okay. Um, you can go on if you want their website. I can give it to you. Yeah, sure. It could be, um, it's called thevitalsapp.com. So okay. V-I-T-A-L-S-A-P-P.com. People can get the information, can look it up, or you can go to our website, which is usm.org, of course, and, and get the information from there as well. Because okay, I would think this would be, obviously, this is something that I think could help so many people and save oh, lives. But, but so it's also, I mean, uh, from, from a, you know, a medical device standpoint, I think this is, you know, going to be a very successful venture. Right, right. Think if somebody has a pacemaker and, and you know, when you, if you're having an incident and you can't talk about it, but if you have a, a, an app that goes off and an officer sees you falling down, they're going to assume maybe you're drunk or something. But if they see this app shows up, it says this person has a pacemaker, you know, oh my gosh, what a change for, for police and for EMT. What an opportunity for them to be able to know exactly what they're dealing with. Absolutely. And you said, so this is pilot programs have been going on for a year and, and what, you said it sort of launched last week? It launched, was it two weeks ago, maybe now? Two weeks ago. You mean in terms of, and when you say launch, because I thought it's already been in effect. Right, but we've been working on the bugs, with, bugs you know, working the bugs out with it and, and having trials and taking it to malls and see if it works and see what happens if you do here. Trying to make, you know, getting ideas from people when they use it, what do they think? Do they think it should be smaller, bigger, you know, whatever, and so there's just been a lot of trial and error to it first until we were ready and made, we made sure it was 100% okay. ready to go, and then we did this launch. And, and I know that, that this is like, I know that WCCO-TV has done some stories on this, and others mm-hmm. obviously have. I mean, have you been approached by other um, you know, autism societies in other states about this? Um, autism Society of America, Vitals Guys, about what to do with it. Yep. yep okay. I, I, would think, I would think they would because it sounds just amazingly cool and just it is amazingly cool. helpful. It really, you know what? It really gives my son a voice when he can't have one for his own, and it makes me. It helps me sleep at night. I was, and I would think the peace of mind would yeah. just be um, extraordinary, and, and and good for him because this allows him the independence, which yep. he's obviously capable of. But it's just if there's a glitch, right? Well, on small scales, he can, you know. But again, I wouldn't, you know, he can't get on a bus and ride it into Minneapolis and go out to dinner. But you know, if he wants to try that someday, I, you know, I've, I'm easier. I'm more comfortable letting him try something like that, knowing that. Protected. All right. Well, listen, um, great information, Dawn. Uh, thank oh, you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you very much for having us. Yes, uh, that's Dawn Barsh, the acting executive director of the Autism Society of Minnesota. How fascinating. I mean, that is just so cool. And the potential for that to help people, how amazing.
whether it's you know somebody with Alzheimer's or some somebody suffering from mental illness or autism, uh, I would I would think that company would be in a pretty good stead here in terms of um, that application. All right, folks, um, we are going to have to take a break. Uh, we're going to give you a little weather. Uh, we're also going to chat, and I've had this gentleman on a number of times. His name is Gordon Chang. He's the author of Nuclear Showdown. He is really one of the country's leading experts on North Korea, and certainly the situation with North Korea, it, it continues to escalate and obviously a source of concern for all of us. Uh, so we'll ask to get his take on these latest developments and then coming up at 8 o'clock, uh, we'll have Professor David Schultz. So keep it right here. You are listening to News Radio 830 W. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 735, 84 degrees. Well, the tensions between the U.S. and North Korea continue to escalate. Obviously, last week we saw the extraordinary speech by the President of the United Nations. Apparently, according to multiple reports, his advisors had urged him to not directly uh, in any way, perhaps the word would be insult, uh, Kim Jong-un, the unpredictable President of North Korea. Uh, and apparently the President uh, went ahead using the term rocket man and promising to destroy North Korea. Uh, Gordon Chang is uh, one of the nation's leading experts on North Korea. He is the author of Nuclear Showdown. He has been kind enough in the past to join us on this show and, and give us his insights. And we certainly appreciate his generosity with his time and also his expertise. He is joining us right now. Gordon Chang, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Well, let me ask you, um, and, and we, you've been kind enough to visit with us and offer really great insights. What, what was your reaction to President's President Trump's speech at the United Nations? Well, I don't think the president should have used some of the language that he did. But in substance, um, the threat to destroy North Korea was really a restating of U.S. policy. Because we've got to remember what preceded those words, totally destroy North Korea. And that was, if the United States was forced to defend itself or its allies. And the concept of massive retaliation has been something that we have lived with since the Cold War. Now, whether the president should have said it at that particular moment in that particular forum, that's another thing. But clearly what he did say um, was really a restatement of American deterrence policy going back for about a half century. All right. you. Know, I think so much, uh, really, I think a lot of people are looking not just at the volatility, you know, of Mr. Trump, but also the volatility and unpredictability of Kim Jong-un and how he might respond to, obviously, uh, a derisive label like Rocket Man. I don't think people are doing that in North Korea, referring him to, the, to that way. How do you think that played? You know, uh, Rocket Man uh, is fascinating. Um, the president should not have used it in his tweet Friday morning, 328 in the morning. And the reason is that on the preceding day, on the Thursday, President Trump had an important day. He announced uh, sanctions that were, um, in, that uh, the United States had been really, that people in the United States had been waiting for. And what, uh, the president needed to have was on Friday, people around the world talking about cutting off money to the North Korean state, because that was the whole issue on Thursday. Instead, on Friday, people were talking about the Rocket Man tweet and the uh, obviously deranged tweet that uh, the president, uh, sorry, 
that uh, the president called um, Kim Jong-un obviously a madman. This is not good for the president because he's stepping on his own message. And that message is important because the United States needs all the help that it can get from other countries in order to cut off uh, cash flows into the North Korean state. You know, there there was a response um from Kim Jong-un referring to the president or President Trump as a dotard, which sent a lot of people going to their dictionaries to look up the term dotard, which is sort of an old uh, sort of crumbling fool as it that may, may not be the exact uh, term. But but how do you think from a personal perspective, I mean, is, do we have any idea how this is all going over in North Korea or is it just so hard because they don't have a free press there? They don't. There's so little communication going on. Yeah. Well, we do know that, that Kim Jong-un is a very determined, um, very much like Trump in some respects. Um, but this is this is the issue, because the language that both of these men are using against each other is not helping. Now, when we step back, we have to understand that the North Koreans have been trying to build a bomb since at least 1965, when Kim Il-sung, the founder of the North Korean state, asked for Chinese technology, and Mao Zedong at that point turned him down. But nonetheless, um, when you have the president of the United States personally insulting the leader of North Korea, um, it obviously adds a personal dimension. At the end of the day, the North Koreans are going to do what the North Koreans are going to do, you know, Trump or no Trump. Uh, and they will continue to build missiles and nukes, um, regardless of what the president of the United States says or doesn't say. Um, but yes, um, the people in the world are starting to worry about this. And President Trump is making himself an issue when he doesn't need to. The issue is the North Korean state, the nature of the regime, its weapons programs. We don't need to be talking about the president's tweeting habits. And unfortunately, that's where we are these days. And that detracts from a critical conversation that we need to have. In terms of um, the the intelligence and and these you know latest reports, I mean, there's uncertainty about you know uh, if there was another missile test. I mean, how good do you think our intelligence really is? Not very good. And just to give you an example, if you go back about three or four months ago, um, the U.S. intelligence community was talking about three to four years before the North Koreans would be able to put a nuke on top of a missile and reach the American homeland. And then we saw the Washington Post leak of about five, six weeks ago, where the Defense Intelligence Agency says that's about a year. So clearly uh, they got it wrong. Um, these assessments are not consistent with each other. And I think that essentially we have been underestimating the North Korean threat for a very long period of time. And, and that's not just the intelligence community, but that's also the policy community as well, as they look at North Korea's intentions. So I think that at this point we have to understand that the North Koreans can surprise us. They very well may have that, op- uh, that c- capability right now. And the threat to test a thermonuclear device over the Pacific may be an indication that the North Koreans want to prove that they have got all the capabilities that we're afraid of and that they've been able to integrate them and make a usable weapon. Right. Uh, we're chatting with Gordon Chang. He is the author of Nuclear Showdown. He is an expert on North Korea. Uh, he has joined us a number of times before. Um, I want to get back to this whole standoff with the U.S. I do want to ask you, though, that uh, there was a report out, um, a, a woman who was in her 20s who had escaped North Korea, who gave a very graphic account um, of Kim Jong-un uh, or 
people coming to her school and, and sort of selecting the, quote, prettiest girls to become sex slaves for Kim Jong-un. She described being taken out of her school with other classmates and being forced to witness the execution, the public execution of 11 musicians who apparently were guilty of or had been accused of creating some kind of pornographic material. And they were strapped, each of them, according to this description, strapped to the edge of, of cannons that were fired. They were literally blown to bits and then the, the cannons or the tanks ran over them and to disintegrate any remains that were left. Um, it was such a graphic account. It got you know a fair amount of attention. Um, this woman apparently went to a fairly elite school. Is that – do you think that's true? It probably is true because it's consistent with other instances that we've known. Uh, so, for instance, Kim Jong-il, the father of the current leader, um, was known to have the same sort of orgies and, and certainly um, exploiting underage girls. So this is, this is consistent with a whole string of stories over the course of decades. And in terms of obliterating uh, victims of the regime by cannon fire, um, this is something that Kim Jong-un has done consistently. Um, so the stories are undoubtedly true because um, they are, um, from one to one, they tell the same story. Wow. And are those kinds of acts of brutality, are they widely distributed amongst people in North Korea? Yes. You know, as, as, as a, obviously something that is terrifying. And it's a warning. Uh, and that's why people are brought to execution grounds and forced to watch the killing of people that the regime does not like. Um, there is a uh, military academy just uh, outside of Pyongyang where um, government officials have been executed in very similar ways, essentially by cannon fire or by large caliber machine guns. And the idea is that they are com- the bodies are completely destroyed, turned to a pink mist, as it's called. And the reason is that oh. uh, the regime wants to um, tell to other people that uh, there is no sense in resistance and that traitors will be brutally dealt with. So um, we know that this is the world's worst regime, and at the end of the day, it is the nature of the Kim regime that we are dealing with. Um, we may have Kim Jong-un, um, but you know, we, he has acted in, very, in ways that are consistent with those of his father and his grandfather. So it's not about him, it's about the nature of the regime. Well, um, you know, apparently within the past 24 to 36 hours, American warplanes have flown close to North Korea's coast um, at a time when North Korea's foreign minister told the U.N. General Assembly that President Trump's threats against the country were, quote, making our rockets visit to the entire U.S. mainland inevitable all the more. The rhetoric continues to escalate here. I mean, is there any strategy for de-escalating this? I mean, because this is a country that's so isolated. Yes. Well, you know, this gets extremely complicated in terms of what's happening. You know, in terms of rhetoric, um, we should be de-escalating rhetoric. But in terms of pressure, I think that we need to increase pressure. Um, and we need to do this largely to deny the regime the means to build rockets, uh, missiles, and nukes. And, and that is something that the United States hasn't done. You know, we've had s- sanctions for decades, and people say those sanctions have been ineffective. Well, those sanctions were not really meant to deny resources to the regime. They were meant essentially to bring the North Korean regime to the bargaining table. It's pretty clear that um, they're not going to want to talk at this particular time, and they probably won't want to talk until they feel confident in their capabilities. 
So when we say that we're trying to bring the regime to its senses with our sanctions, I think we have to understand that that's not very likely. We've seen that over the course of decades. And so now we need to start thinking about how to prevent the regime from getting the money, getting the cash in order to build a horrible arsenal. Right. But what kinds of sanctions are already in place? Because I know the Trump administration is talking about increasing them. Well, there are a couple of things. Um, so first of all, um, North Korea still is permitted to sell certain things around the world. Um, I don't think that they should be able to do that. And what, are, the they, what thing, are they selling around the world? They're selling virtually everything that they have, um, not only civilian products like textiles, seafood, coal, iron, iron ore, some of them which are, uh, are um, prohibited by Security Council sanction, but only recently. But the other thing that we've got to be concerned about is their sales of missiles to Iran and also chemical weapons to the Syrian regime. So every time we see pictures of Syrian children gassed to death, we should be thinking that that's probably North Korean chemical weapons. And wow. in th- there's some possibility that those weapons have been paid for by Iran. Iran is estimated to pay North Korea somewhere between 2 and $3 billion a year. We don't know exactly what it's for, but we can guess that a large part of it is for ballistic missiles, also nuclear weapons technology, and the chemical weapons that are talked about. Um, this is a partnership between Tehran and Pyongyang that we've got to break. We've got to stop this sale of these deadly items, um, because if we don't do that, we are going to live in a world where we are going. It's going to be so different from what we know now. Just to put a point on this, North Korea merchandises everything in its arsenal. It has weapons customers like Hezbollah, and pretty much we have to think about that if we want Hezbollah to be a nuclear weapons power, then we shouldn't be interdicting North Korean shipments. But if we want to prevent that, then we have to think about how we stop this trade. All right. So really, the, the scenarios that you just described suggest a North Korea that really is not as isolated in some ways as, as is generally described in the media. It's absolutely not isolated. I mean, it connects to the world through China, and China is connected to the world. So, for instance, when we talk, just change the subject a little bit, um, but same principle. When we talk about the Internet, we say that North Korea doesn't, is not connected to the global Internet, uh, except for very limited pipelines. But that's not exactly true, because, for instance, um, North Korean cyber warriors are based in China. And through China's links to the world, North Korea is connected. North Korea is connected to the world through Chinese banks that have been laundering money for the North Koreans, not just small banks, but also large banks. So, for instance, Bank of China, one of China's so-called Big Four banks, um, was cited in a 2016 UN report for money laundering for the North Koreans. So if we think China is connected to the world, that's how connected North Korea is. In terms of um, going back to Kim Jong-un, and certainly the U.S. has done this um, going back many, many years, but there have been plots, uh, they've funded plots within countries uh, to take out rogue leaders. I mean, is that something that, that you think the U.S. or its allies would ever consider, perhaps not officially, but somehow, you know, in some kind of clandestine operation? Well, every military plans for taking out the leadership of its opponent in a war. Um, and the United States certainly has planned that. Um, but it's not something that we should be doing short of uh, general conflict on the Korean Peninsula. Um, it's fascinating that the American military, um, let it be known, that we tracked the whereabouts of Kim Jong-un on July 4th 
as he milled around the launch site for that intercontinental ballistic missile. And um, I think that the United States released that information so that we would let the Kim regime know know that we could have killed Kim, but didn't and decided not to do it because that is not our intention. Um, but clearly, um, the South Korean um, military is planning decapitation strikes. Um, they've actually publicized it. Which and, and when you say decapitation strikes, is that what it sounds like? I mean, that's are... exactly what it sounds like. It's for taking out Kim Jong Un and. Um, as I mentioned, all militaries do this, um, but they don't talk about it. Um, what is different now is that you have militaries talking about actually killing Kim Jong-un, either in the case of South Korea, where they're announcing their unit that is practicing this, or in the case of the United States, making it clear that we did not want to do it. But nonetheless, this has become a topic of conversation. And that shows you how dangerous this situation has become. What is the reaction to all this escalation and growing tensions in South Korea? In South Korea, um, I'm sure that Moon Jae-in, the new president, um, as he has said, has been very concerned about uh, the tone and the rhetoric. Um, President Moon, though, is in a difficult position because although he would like to engage North Korea, um, North Korea's leader has made it clear he does not want to engage the South Koreans. And so President Moon has been forced into making some bellicose statements of his own, where clearly that's not what he would like to do. You know, the South Korean public um, is very interesting because it is divided almost down the middle between um, progressives who want to engage the North, like the President Moon, and conservatives, generally older South Koreans who remember the Korean War, who remember America's participation in that war, and have a much different attitude about the Kim regime. So South Korea is a society divided, and at this point, um, I don't see how those recon- how those divisions are going to be reconciled. All right, and you see that you see that division within sa- the South, and and obviously the people there have to be paying extraordinary attention to this. That that, that society is pretty much cleaved in half here, uh, in in terms of where they stand. Excuse me, I didn't catch that. It, that, that the society in South Korea really is is profoundly divided right down the middle, 50-50. It is, it is um, divided almost 50-50. Um, and, and we've seen that with, um, you know, sometimes there are conservative presidents in South Korea, sometimes there are progressive presidents. They seem to alternate, and that's an indication that society is, is pretty much kept in, in an equilibrium, um, although it, it changes. And indeed, the electorate the the population there is pretty volatile in, in terms of the way that they approach politics. And in terms of the, the, the perception of President Trump, I suppose it depends on which side you're on. But, um, you know, what is what is the, uh, the perception of President Trump there in South Korea? Well, even among America's supporters, there is concern about President Trump. And the reason is um, not only do you know, there's concern about the rhetoric, which, you know, all Americans have as well. There is also the fear that the United States will abandon South Korea. So hmm. you have a lot of different views, even among the conservatives in the South Korean um, populace. Uh, and, of course, uh, people living in South Korea are concerned about war, whether they're liberals, conservatives, progressives, or whatever, um, just because South Korea is so close to North Korea. And everyone assumes that North Korea would retaliate against uh, you know, actions by the United States by taking it out on South Korea. All right. Well, listen, Gordon Chang, always a pleasure. Uh, he is the author of Nuclear Showdown. Certainly appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much. Thank you.
All right. Uh, Gordon Chang, fascinating to hear him because they're, they're so, you know, this is so complex. It's been going on for so long. He certainly has the insights into uh, a nation that, that the world really does not know that much about. All right, folks, let's take a quick break. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. I want to let you know that it is 754. The certified McCarthy's Cadillac is now up to 40% off MSRP. Shop McCarthyAuto.com. That's McCarthyAuto.com. It is uh, 757 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, coming up, one of my favorite guests, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. There's certainly, there's never a lack of, of, Stuff to talk about. Um, I do find it extraordinary that we're going to have to talk about tweets involving Steph Curry, LeBron, and others. Um, this has hijacked this dispute with um, uh, involving the NBA stars, involving the NFL, has hijacked the news of the day, including this showdown with North Korea. It's an extraordinary development. But we'll ask uh, Professor Schultz about that. Also, so many other issues, the collapse of mediation between the governor and the legislature, obviously extraordinary impact. Uh, That's all coming up. So keep it right here, folks. Uh, Esme Murphy, along with David Schultz, that's next here on News Radio 830 WCCO. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. 